Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer, Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the grips with the digital workspace inner workings. I'm Tom Bathnot, uh, Principal Solutions Architect at Modality Systems, and we specialize in Microsoft 365 Collabs, so primarily Microsoft Teams, but also Skype for Business in historically and uh, kind of the rest of the Microsoft collaboration story. Yeah, fantastic. And then would you mind just giving us a, a view on what you think the digital workspace is or what it means to you? Yeah, it's a, it's a one of those phrases of like it could mean anything and everything. I think it depends on on the vertical and and the organisation and everything. But I mean, broadly speaking, it's kind of using technology to maximum effect to meet your organisational objectives. So that's a bit of a consulting answer. Um, but that's really it. Like it depends on what your organization objectives are as to how you might use tech or digital to improve the, the, the workplace or the organization or whatever it may be. Yeah, that's great. Um, something that was, I was curious about on your profile, um, before we go further, I want to, I want to answer, get to answer this question. What does it mean to be a Microsoft master? Yeah, yeah, it's a, a good title, isn't it? It's a bit of an old one, actually. So back in Skype for Business Server and Link Server and OCS, which are very technical install it yourself products as opposed to kind of cloud SaaS. Uh, Microsoft had a program called Masters where you could do a kind of deep dive <coughs> three weeks uh, with Microsoft uh, and it's like real like down to the nuts and bolts how SIP works, how the servers work, troubleshooting, that kind of stuff. Um, so I did that. It's quite old now. I did that I think 2015 um, and you you do lab exams and written exams and all sorts. So back when I was more more hands-on than I am now. Uh, that was the kind of the higher-end uh, certification for being uh, a master in a particular technology. You could do it in Exchange as well. You could do it in SharePoint. I did it in Skype for Business. Okay. And has the technology changed that much going from Skype for Business to Teams? Yeah, quite, quite massively. I mean, mainly, I mean, there was a Skype business online, or there is a Skype business online, but it really, it was primarily the mass market was a server product. So you would you know, install it yourself on your own hardware, manage it, maintain it, patch it. Um, the cloud is a completely different beast. So Teams is a giant cloud service built of loads of microservices and you're buying it as a service from Microsoft. So all the the patching and maintenance and, and to a certain extent, the control is gone from the end organization. And now it's about making the most of it, understanding the constant changes, um, managing a SaaS service, which is very different to managing a kind of traditional, I can hug my servers type service. <laughs> yeah, I think we, we all live a bit in that um, quandary of, of you can't control it, but you needed to do certain things. Yeah, it's fun watching. So I, I have the privilege of working with lots of different sizes of organizations, the biggest being kind of 300,000 and and then a few kind of 100,000, 50,000 and down to a few thousand at the lower end. Uh, and it's interesting, particularly at the high end, seeing organizations completely bought into cloud as a proposition by going all in, buying the licensing, spending their millions. And then they start rolling it out and it kind of filters down the org and the org's like, wait a minute, this just 
changes like yeah so how does this affect our change controls like well i don't know what you've got written now of change control but microsoft are going to change it um so kind of understanding the positive implications of buying into cloud but also the realities of buying into cloud that you are no longer in complete control you're you're jumping on a train that's going in a certain direction but the train's going to keep going whether you like it or not yeah, and that's, it. And that's speed. I mean, I remember back in my days in, in large corporates, I mean, your change control process was so rigorous and, and um, bureaucratic for good reasons. I mean, it's, you know, there's a reason why those things are put in place, but, you know, running out an update to CRM, for example, or, or even Teams where it just happened and you couldn't stop it. You know, I can see people freaking out just at that concept. It is scary for lots of orgs. Like, it's a completely foreign concept in some ways. And what often happens is, the decision to go cloud is made at a more of an executive business slash IT level. So like we're all in, we've, we, we've been, you know, Microsoft say it's amazing, we're buying it. And then it filters down, particularly, you know, big tens of thousands, multi-thousand orgs, there are whole different departments for each technology sometimes. So then it filters down. It's like, well, this is what you've bought. And it's quite funny. I often end up in the situation as a consultant. I don't work for Microsoft but I slash you know, modality get pulled in to help make the most of the technology you've bought effectively. And I end up in a situation where they're like, well, it can't work like that. I'm like, well, it does work like that and you've bought it. So like, like, let's talk about how you can, what you can do to understand it, to deal with the roadmap, to get on the previews where appropriate. Like, like let's deal with the realities of what you're buying into. But it's the way all technology is going. It's not like there's a vendor out there that's saying, no, the way forward is, controlled servers and you control your patching and you have it all all in your own org that all the big vendors are kind of in agreed and the markets agreed that the net net the ability the innovation you get from SaaS, the ability to turn it on and off like a tap that's an upside that warrants the you know the kind of speed of change impacted on the business organization do you not see a level of hybridness coming to that so you you'd have some things that would be cloud hosted and you would have some pieces on the edge that would be um unless you control differently controlled by the by the customer but you could control it there could be two different states if, if that makes sense yeah it depends on the technology so my world is is mainly comms and collaboration uh, and in my world definitely so for example your telco connectivity in teams is usually via a traditional telco so somebody is managing that piece could be the customer could be the telco um but but if you go hybrid you're kind of getting the best and the worst of both because now you've got a team that has to look after the servers and the team that has to look after cloud and you have to comms to your customers. So I think different technologies might warrant being either hybrid or on-prem for some things and in the cloud for others. But you're, you're causing yourself a lot of overhead if you're doing it arbitrarily, if that makes sense. There has to be a really good reason for it. Yeah, I'm thinking about like recordings. Um, so in sort of the banking world, we've got traders that need to do their calls and those need to be automatically recorded. And then by legislation, they may need to be recorded and held in in the domicile so yeah but you can do that in cloud so so so, so high it depends how you again hybrid's one of those massively overused terms but you can you know right now we have customers recording microsoft team sessions for compliance and they record it in their azure so it's yeah. still in the cloud but it's their tenants and it's, it's it's geolocated to the correct region for compliance but um yeah is, is that hybrid i mean they control some of it and microsoft controls some of it so maybe but it's definitely not in their data center yeah, no, I'm just wondering, I was thinking about some of the banking sort of 
concerns that I was listening to in, the, in a meeting previously. And then one of those things was they wanted to have the recordings on premise on their environments and then have, and, and still have a cloud copy, but, but have this sort of two states um, for repudiation. Yeah, I mean, this obviously speaks to your your background, doesn't it? So, so financial is one of the most interesting ones for cloud because of the regulation and and the tight requirements. And yes, you, so Microsoft have an API for um, session recording, if you like, or session capture, and they will throw the recording at you and and when I say at you, at a third party product. Um, so there's eight or nine certified vendors for this and they you know catch the recording and store it and that can be 100 percent azure that that could be all the recordings are kept in a data center you control under your own lock and key um but the 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 decision for where to put the recordings usually the compliance is about actually having control an audit trail and as you said like um in the correct region or the correct country or the correct legislative area uh, it doesn't say it has to be in your data center it has to be in azure or aws or any other cloud provider it's more about meeting the regs so we're seeing more and more acceptance of uh, it can be cloud but to the correct regulation still be okay yeah no, that makes sense. Um, I remember back in the day with when, when SharePoint was was um, bought and, and turned into, uh, let's say it was 2003 or so, I think that was the first. Oh, you're, you're going back now. Back, te back 10 years, I think, more than 10 years, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Almost 20 things. years. But one of the things <laughs> that I remember hearing in a, in a conference, and this was sort of when it was 2003, then it went to 2007, and then it was 2010, that, that SharePoint would be the new desktop. Um, and the idea is that everything would consolidate into SharePoint. So you would have, um, you know, your search would, would work across your desktop and then into, into SharePoint as well. Um, you would have your email coming through SharePoint through sort of Outlook widgets and all that kind of stuff. It seems to me that the same thing's happening with Teams. Teams is becoming the new workspace or the new workbench. Yeah, definitely. And, and desktop is a kind of code word for the center of your life isn't it so it's like where you spend most of your time is really and and you know whatever's the hot technology that gets said so it's definitely been said about teams multiple times i think e email it still has such a hard grip on a lot of the ways people work i think outlook is still a strong contender for like spending lots of your screen time but we're definitely seeing teams certainly for internal work processes taking over that particularly if you look at the way collaborative workspaces work if, if companies properly adopt that practice of having a group chat space and you know and the same thing can be said of other technology vendors but the, the, this common denominator of having a group chat space with apps and files if you can get that planted in your organization then definitely i spend most of my day in teams because all my projects live in teams or my files live in teams all my internal comms live in teams um still with you know with federation and guest access and things to external orgs that's that's increasing but outlook is still about but net net definitely microsoft see it as a front door to office 365 and they see office 365 as where you work so yes they expect you to spend a good amount of time with teams as front of screen for you yeah i mean myself dominique and, and heather and uh, john did an exercise of trying to cut down email I mean, for Dominique, it's, it was a complete cut down to almost zero. I think he got yep. to zero. For me, it was a it was a, it was a slight reduction, maybe twenty five percent less, and, and pushing that into Teams. 
and, and I can definitely see it working and it'll work better as teams mature. So I, I still think it's a fairly um, clunky experience. Um, but I, I can see that there's so many, and, and, and sometimes I watch the emails fly back and forth. There's so many conversations that are, email, that are in email that don't need to be in email. Um, so it would be ideal if you can get into a, a, a sort of persistent chat world. And I think the biggest ch ch challenge to that is people have grown up with Skype for Business, which wasn't persistent chat. Yeah, that's a really good point. And like, there's a difference. We spend some time on this with organizations. There's a difference between Teams chat and Skype for Business chat. So Skype for Business chat had a chat history you could go and look up, like an audit trail, if you like a personal audit trail but it wasn't um, persistent between sessions. So it was instant messaging. And Teams is not instant messaging in the same way. Yes, it sends it instantly, but there's a cultural decision to make about does it, you know, is instant mean, does because it sends instantly, does that mean you warrant an instant reply? So is it email, is it asynchronous, or is it synchronous real-time like instant messaging? And the reality is somewhere in the middle. Like people will reply if they can, but I might not expect an instant reply, but I'm not going to send you an email. I'll send you a chat message. So there's some cultural changes there, which we're all working through around. Um, I had a really good conversation about, is it okay to send a Teams chat message out of hours? Because are you inferring you need an instant reply because you sent the chat message, but, but you'd happily send an email out of hours because that's not inferring you need a reply instantly. So I think, Every org has some cultural decisions to make around how they treat this new continuous async comms environment. Yeah, no, exactly. It's funny because we were talking about this with someone else. And and if you look at somewhere like um, in the French um, work culture, you, you're actually not allowed to check email outside of, of work hours. You can't send email out of work hours, I think, as well. Yeah. Um, whereas an instant message would be probably classed the same. Uh, have you had any customers sort of come back to you on that or, or not? Yeah, it's definitely a conversation point. That there's, there's, like you say, France is one of the countries that has fairly specific regulations. There are some features in Teams now. I mean, you can set quiet hours. You can also set some country, uh, not country controls, but like controls around when it will uh, notify you and not notify you centrally to meet some of those regulations. It, it's a tricky topic, isn't it? Because it's... You can obviously see the intent, which is that if you let people message at all hours, they tend to get sucked into work and therefore they end up working longer than they're paid, quote unquote. Um, I think it very much depends on the organization and the role of the culture again. Like for me, I work odd hours. Uh, you know, I, I will absolutely get my kids to bed jump on my laptop at eight o'clock, smash out a, a few bits and pieces to get ahead of the next day. Uh, and, and, do an hour then and equally I'll quite often jump out of work at three o'clock go and pick my kids up from school and not worry that I've got an hour where I'm picking my kids up and saying hello to them and everything else that's part of our culture so for, <laughs> for my org that wouldn't work at all but if if employees are feeling pressured to work then I can see how you need some way to protect them I'm not sure IT rules are the way to protect that kind of scenario but it, it, it's it's one option yeah, you're right. I mean, that, that's that's sort of the integrated working method, and, and it's how I grew up working in a lot of ways, where you you mix your day in with your your work, and, and if it means you're working late nights, um, but that might suit your sort of mentality and, and and the work you're doing as well. 
Um, yeah, I think there's a big difference between like shift work and knowledge work in that sense. Like if you're doing, say, retail or warehouse or whatever, and, and your boss is pinging you out of hours for answers, that's not part of the kind of unwritten contract. Like you're being paid per hour you're there, uh, asking you to, to be aware of work outside of hours or answer questions, I think is a stretch. But if you're giving, if you're in a kind of modern knowledge worker your your results orientated, not hours orientated, then I don't see the point of locking email off or, or comms off bang on 5.30, for example. Yeah, and I think there's also, a, um, from a personal decision point of view, where you can decide, if you read that message, uh, I'll give you an example, my boss sent me something like 10 to 7 last night and I was just uh, finished off dinner with the kids and, and that kind of stuff. And I didn't have to reply right there and then. I could, you know, I replied to him yeah. sort of eight o'clock, and and I don't think he was expecting me to reply at you know five two eight. You know, he was he was expecting me to reply when I replied, um, and that's a good healthy culture. Yeah, I think it's definitely a conversation to have out loud, though, isn't it? I I do wonder about it sometimes. Like I again, I I quite often work Sunday night to get a jump on the week, and and I do wonder if I send a Teams message or an app mention. Am I applying kind of psychic pressure on those people to reply? And I've had that conversation with lots of people just saying, look, I I work odd hours. I'm not expecting a reply. I'm just getting the ball out of my court kind of thing. But I think mm. it's an important cultural conversation to have out loud because you could definitely see how someone, particularly if you're junior in an organization, like, well, my boss just pinged me. I have to reply now because they're my boss. So uh, that conversation is worth having for sure. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Just get, I mean, you've worked obviously with a lot of customers. What would be one of your sort of best rollouts or best experiences with, with what you've worked with over the, over time. It doesn't have to just be teams. It could be even back to Skype. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to talk about the definition of best, isn't it? Because or even your worst. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I think what's pretty been pretty transformational over the years I've been working in IT, which is quite a while is the psyche has moved best from successful technical rollout to actually use by the business. So if I think back, you know, 10, 12 years, you were patting yourself on the back in IT if you'd successfully plugged in all the IP phones and they all had dial tone and, and the failover tests worked and you'd done everything. You didn't care if people were using them or not. Like you didn't care if they knew how to use them or not. You were just like, well, my job is to plug all this stuff in, make it five nines available, patch it to current, da da da. Um, best in 2020 is incredibly different for the, for the better. I think it's now. Well, if the business aren't gaining value out of it, what was the point? Like, like we've become, and it's still a journey. I don't, I don't think all of IT is there yet, but we've become much more aware of like IT is to serve and enable the business to do whatever they're trying to do. So, what are the business goals, and how do we help? So, I'd say in in that context, orgs that are starting to get beyond just the kind of UC bit of teams that actually use the uh, collaboration work out loud piece. And it's, it's only pockets. It's still a very early in the, in the kind of all big org psyche about using teams and channels. But I'm seeing things like the organizations we work with move knowledge workers and, and projects into sprint type methodologies to have stand-ups, talk out loud, have a, have a backlog, use teams for all of that stuff. That is really really transformational um for the for the better of the business i think yeah it's interesting you made that point you instantly i thought of a, a book i read um oh i can't remember what it's called i'll find the name 
but basically it's how the US military changed their approach. Um, and they were the, the sort of um, this very structured hierarchical organization. And they moved to this one and a half, one and a half hour meeting every day. So their version of a standup um, with it flowing out into sub working groups. And basically they went from being this very hierarchical thing to this very network nexus mm. um, because their biggest problem when they were fighting, I think it was in Afghanistan, um, is that they couldn't respond fast enough to the enemy because the enemy wasn't what they'd expected it to be. The enemy wasn't a hierarchical structure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they just they just moved organically on, on made decisions on the ground. And in the meanwhile, the orders went from the, 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 the ground to some commander. It takes a week to get the decision back, that kind of thing. That makes yeah. sense. And, and by going to this one and a half hour a meeting a day, it was, it was anyone could, I mean, I, I can't remember the ranks that were involved, but I think they had ranks, that, you know, down to the privates potentially that were allowed to join this call. And if they needed to, to say something, it could be said and a decision could be made either right there and then, or they would split out quickly and have a side meeting to make that decision and come back. So very, very uh, dynamic world. And, and what I've seen in, in the organizations that have done well is exactly what you've said is, is moving to, to the sprint agile approach. And it doesn't have to be, um, all of the tenets of, of the methodology, you know, just a basic once one meeting a day, what you're working on, what you block mm-hmm. by and, and what have you done, you know, it gets everyone on the same page very quickly. It also cuts down the number of other meetings you have to have, um, or, or, the, or the meetings you do have are more focused. I, I'm so converted to the methodology. And I, so part of my role at Modality, I wear a few different hats, is product ownership of some of our reporting products. So I do a daily stand-up with Dev. We have, you know, we do sprint. We have the board. We have impediments. All, all that good stuff. And I'm so, it took me a long time, but I'm so converted to it. I, I think the biggest challenge with it, to your point, is there's a lot of, like, slightly weird insider terminology like impediment and PBI and, and and sprint and backlog like when when you get your head around all the crazy terminology it does boil down to that like a clear list of things to do clearly planned and prioritized ahead of time with execution with accountability that's all it really is uh, I think someone's got a job to do I mean I know people have tried but to kind of declutter it from the kind of esoteric terminology to say this is what it is for business like it's it's everybody's written down tasks with names on with efforts on with estimates on and they are going to update you because far too much in the organizational side of businesses it's like well we all have a great meeting we all say there's 10 things to do we all walk away we'll come back in two weeks and have the same meeting like nothing gets done yeah and and, and i think there's a level of um the, trying to avoid the fire drills so, so you can have the every morning there's a new fire drill that, that really, you know, in, in a normal day can, can wreck your day. But by having a sprint with deliverables and stuff, when something comes in, you're like, well, you know, if we do this, it's going to affect the sprint deliverables. These are what we committed to. These are things that we signed off on. Do you still want to do it? And there's that hesitation that, that you need. And sometimes you have to drop something for, for the fire drill and, and, some, and most times you don't. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, and and I point this out to our dev team sometimes, I'm not sure they believe it. You live quite a blessed life if you work on pure sprint methodology because essentially someone's saying, like, you've only got this much time, this is what you're committed to to the next two weeks, and I'm going to completely leave you alone to do that. I mean, that's not business because new opportunities come in and priorities change. So two weeks is quite a long time on the business side as opposed to the development side. But I mean, there's there's the other side of that coin, which is I see business side try to adopt sprint methodology 
and not have any time to commit to the outcome. So they'll they'll make a big list of things to do. They'll all put names against them, but they've all got their day job to do as well. So it really focuses the mind on what is actually important. Like we all sat here and said this is important, but is it important enough to drop other things? Because if it's not, let's just be honest, we're not going to do it. Um, and that's a tough conversation to have, but I think it's really healthy. Yeah, I mean, it comes back to expectation management. I mean, that's that's in communication. If you can't do those two things, then you know nothing else really works. Yeah, and I think with this, um, uh, we were talking about it on our pre-call, but like everybody working from home or working remotely now because of the the world events and probably continuing to do so, that transparency around what everybody's doing, how they're doing it, daily updates, and, and having out loud workspaces, so chat updates and things, so you don't have to jump everybody onto a meeting every time you want an update. I think that's going to become more prevalent because you can't have the same thing you have in a physical office where you can all just sort of ad hoc hear each other's conversations and 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 cohesively know where you're going you need a bit more structure i think yeah and you and you know they they're people in different different situations i mean you know i've got a, a young son and a, and a baby on the way uh but i think you have kids as well yeah um, yeah so so they need attention too um you know you don't necessarily want your children to grow up being nannied by netflix um you know, you want you want to sit and spend like I built a train set with my son yesterday for an hour. Uh, then I took him to the to the playground for an hour, and I still worked. You know, my sort of normal work day just happened to be you know to two o'clock this morning. But that's that's a different a different kettle of fish. Whereas some of the other guys are they're not encumbered by children, or their children have left left home already, so they could work a you know seven to three or nine to five or whatever they have to do. Seems you know speaking to customers, etc. And it's trying to find those overlaps, and by having some some common methodology, which is like a sprint methodology, the the work still gets done, and it's results orientated. And yeah, results orientated is the key phrase. That that is it. And it's funny, like you know, I've I've worked at Modality for nearly ten years now, and it, you know, like. I'll leave the office at whatever time and I'll come at whatever time we do whatever. We have a very healthy culture on that front. Um, but one of the the, the, the sales directors who's, who's gone now, you know, would occasionally throw a joke as you walk out the office at three o'clock, like, oh, I'm done for the day. And so, well, I get, get paid by results, not by the hour. Like, like you're, you're paying me to deliver stuff. Like whether I work an hour or 10 hours, it doesn't make any difference. It's results orientation. I think it's a bit flippant, but I think that's really important to understand. Like if a knowledge worker is delivering the value it doesn't really matter how long it takes them you're paying them for outcome really yeah we used to have the same joke when i started it was are you working a half day yeah but but in a small business it is a bit like that because you are true you are doing um you know guys are passionate about it because it's it's small it's still a collective family in some senses so there's a bit of a jibe and a competitive nature we're in a big corporate you know, I used to laugh at four o'clock. The guy, the, the, the chairs would be spinning as people left. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but it's uh, if you're managing by seeing people are at their desks, I think you're flawed. Do you know what I mean? Like, like quite often there's a lot of kudos given to the person that gets in at eight o'clock and leaves at seven o'clock. They could be playing Minesweeper for half the day. Nobody knows. It's just they they appear to be at the office a lot. Um, I, I think that's. That's not unusual. We've certainly spoken to a lot of organizations. We do adoption and change management culture stuff. And some of that conversation has been, well, how do we know our people are working? How, how do we know they're productive? Because you don't say like, how do we know they're working? Because that sounds like you're you know, managing them in negative. Like, how do we make sure they're productive? Um, but 
But the reality is they had no process in place to do that when they were in the office. They just were like, well, because they were here before, so they were working. I'm like, well, were they? How how did you measure their output? I don't know, they were in the office. <laughs> interesting thing you bring up there. In fact, when you mentioned experience, I wanted to bring it up and talk about that as well. So um, there's probably a two-parter to this. So the one aspect of this is we used to, well, I still use the tool now, a digital experience monitoring tool that measures what's going on on the desktop. So how much time are you spending in applications? Yep. Um, what websites you're browsing? Um, it's looking for faults, errors, all that kind of stuff as well. So it gives you quite a nice endpoint view. Um, where that becomes interesting in, in talking about experience, it's not so much, it's not just about you know the sort of state of the, the device, but it's also the user's perception of that of what they they're doing. So, if um, if Outlook's slow when they're trying to use it, or um, you know their their boot up process is slow, all those things affect the, the perception. But you need to have something that gives you uh, metrics that that's not opinionated but more empirical. Um, where this where I was going to get to is, you know, I notice with Teams it's a very clunky experience, but I think the value I get out of it, I'm prepared to accept that clunkiness. Uh, you know, as it, as it gets better. But I know that there's some users that don't feel like that. Now, what, what I was going to, so that's the one piece that's talking about that experience. The other piece of this is trying to see where people spend their time and, and should they be using those applications as part of their job? So that's part of those getting those results. So, you know, if you've got a developer who spends four hours a day in Outlook, then they're probably not writing good code or they're yes. probably project management job and not a developer's job. And now a technical lead or an architect might be slightly different, but but it's trying to understand those metrics because when you start providing the right tooling to someone, you want to understand their persona and what they need and where they should be spending their time. Uh, I mean, any thoughts on those two sort of aspects? Yeah, I think that's a fascinating topic. So I use a, a product called Rescue Time personally, and okay. that's a little desktop agent that monitors basically active screen time and, and gives you a self-report on where you spend your time. Yeah. Um, and, and Outlook was the prime candidate to look at. Like for, for me, like if you're spending a disproportionate of your time in Outlook, you're just probably just reacting to incoming stuff and replying. And then 100% what you said is true. Like it depends on the job role. Like if I'm project management, that probably is my primary job. Like I live in planner or project and outlook. Um, so I 100% think that's worth looking at. It's a real delicate balance between um, trying to coach the employees to get the most out of their role and kind of overbearing them worried because they look at YouTube for 20 minutes and you're going to crack down on them. So I think it's, it's a delicate topic um, at scale, but definitely um, Outlook is one of those enemies. Like if people people use their email as a task list, like that absolutely kills me. Like like they, they boot up their Outlook and whatever's at, basically whatever's at the top or whatever's been chased a few times, that's where they start. It's so easy to do that. And then, you know, we've all done it. I'm 100% sure. Um, but blocking out the time to plan where you're actually going to spend your time as opposed to reacting is a really big, big important thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I've tried to... I've tried two strategies and I'm kind of sitting on this strategy as my, my current email strategy. So the, the two strategies I tried, the first one was I would do email first thing in the morning at lunchtime and in the evening. Um, that didn't work because the minute I saw something in my inbox that became my day. Um, so the second strategy I do now is I don't try, I try not to open Outlook until after the first meeting of the day. 
So if I'm going to, the only thing I look at is my calendar, which I can look at in a separate app. Yeah. As as that hasn't changed. I open, I only open email at like sort of 11 o'clock in the day, and then I'll do an hour going through it and that sorting out. And that seems to work. And then usually again at sort of five, six o'clock, um, I'll look again and then I'll try and then I try to keep out the closed through the rest of the day. Um, yeah, that that's amazing. I think that, and it's it's very much an org culture thing again. And, and this is where sometimes teams can help because lots of orgs I see it. You know, still today all the time, email is treated like instant messaging or almost like a phone call. Like if your boss emails you, they expect the response. And then and when you add something like Teams, you can respectfully org wide kind of say, look, Teams is not synchronous comms i'll get to it when i get to it if you need me urgently it's instant message if you need me properly urgently really it's phone me because don't expect me to be looking at my team's instant messaging box every hour of the day i'm busy like you say i'm a programmer i'm busy coding i'm a whatever i'm busy writing Mm. tenders um but technology is not the answer, the culture conversation is really the answer because any of these technologies can be used well or badly. Um, email is just the common denominator of badness for, for task list, for quick replies, for ill thought outcomes. Like it's the common denominator, unfortunately, for a lot of those uh, evils. Yeah, you're so right. And I, and I was actually, I mean, funny enough, I did it this morning and usually I don't do it. Is, is I, looked at, I looked at my email in the morning and I started replying to stuff and I was like, what are you doing? You know, you're wasting, <laughs> like this is your good, mem- this is your good brain time. It's so tempting though, isn't it? Because it feels like you're getting stuff done. Like it's, you you know, all that work being done in kind of all the, um, the casino kind of keep you hooked on, on casino games. And now the modern, uh, iPhone type games, like all those, uh, buzzes you get from ticking things off or winning things or climbing a pointless game ladder. It's the same thing in email. You're like, Oh, I got 12 things. And now I'm down to six things. I've done six things. Like, well, you've not, move the ball forward on anything that's important to the organization you've just replied to six emails like it, it, it it's a real easy thing to get sucked into and you, you could spend your whole day in outlook and achieve very little potentially but you're like well i got a hundred messages done so what you know does it does it has it impacted yeah i actually had a, had a, um, a good friend he used to call those days f9 days <laughs> yeah send and receive because that's sort of, you know when yep. you all day an email uh, and uh, that's Back in, in the days of communication server and um, and link. That's funny. Yeah, my team used to tell me they knew when I was on a flight because I have a, um, a again, another great tool, Simplifile, that's an Outlook plugin for um, managing email and you can folderize email on send very easily and folder it coming in. And I have a waiting for folder and a review folder. So this has become less impactful now. I use Teams, but I would still, for external emails, if I'm waiting for a response, I send it and it lands in my waiting for folder. And whenever I would get on a flight, I would smash through that folder you know there'd be there'd be potentially hundreds of things in there so i'd land and this is pre you know why uh 3g being common on planes but i'd land and hundreds of emails would go out chasing up the things that were like months ago so um yeah it's uh i know what those days were like uh, it's uh, definitely different with teams yeah, no, it's, uh, I, I actually I must get that that uh, add-on for you because that, that sounds ideal. It's really good, H- highly highly recommended. I mean, it's one of the things I miss about Teams now is uh, all of my project conversations are in channels in Teams. I, I can bookmark them to remind me to go back to them. Um, but having so much 
you know, task processing has grown up around email and that simply file product is, is excellent. Okay. Um, so so that, that's something that I have found slightly frustrating with, with Teams is, is the, the ability to find things. You've got like Teams inside of Teams, which, which doesn't make sense to me. I don't know why they haven't. Got- yeah, yeah. The naming's brilliant, isn't it? Half of training is saying whether you're talking about Microsoft Teams, the product, or Teams within Microsoft Teams, the, the, the <laughs> workspace entity. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you is, I mean, do you, do you have sort of a best practice on how to set up channels versus Teams, like sort of? Uh, yeah, for- yeah. Um, it, it, again, it's an it depends. I'm a consultant, right? But Teams is super easy if you're a person who has one to three projects you focus on like it is absolutely brilliant in that scenario like you're doing three projects you're doing an rfp for a sales thing you're doing an internal project to get you through uh, iso accreditation and you have a, a regular group of people who work together on something else so you've got three spaces and those are teams the members of those teams all relate to those projects um, and then channels separate topics of conversation or areas of conversation Uh, that people find pretty easy where it gets harder is the reality of that's hardly anybody like like most people are involved in 10 12 maybe more projects or they're a, a little bit involved so a lot of it is getting your mindset out of if I'm in a team, I have to read every message. So mm-hmm. if you think of a team, uh, to kind of use a physical analogy, if you think of a team as an office and the project has an office, and if you think way back to when literally you would have like a, a war room or an office for a project, in that room, you'd all come together to communicate. You'd saw your files in there. You'd have whiteboards and things pinned up on the walls. Like it would be a physical space where everything about that project lived. That's a team. Now, certain people are allowed in that office uh, and, and certain people aren't. That's your team membership. So, but just because I'm allowed in the office doesn't mean I'm in the office 24 by 7. So, you can't just assume I'm reading everything that's in that office or if you shout in that office, everybody hears it. And, and this is the conversation to have is a team is a space where you work, members are allowed in, but how you agree to communicate depends on the project if it's a project of five people who are only on one project posting a message probably means all five people will read it if it's a project where there's 20 people anecdotally involved you can pretty much assume they won't read every post unless you specifically at mention them Um, so therefore it's okay to be a member of a team and not read every message don't feel like you're wed to read everything the project is ongoing You, you just have the opportunity to jump in and look at the walls and see what's going on with the plan, but not the requirement to do so. Yeah. Uh, and once you get your head around that, that, I'm a member of like the modality, I'm a member of easily like 60 teams. At any one time, I probably care about five or 10, but people can at mention me in the other teams if they want me. Otherwise, they'd assume I'm not paying attention. Um, it's quite a hard psychic thing to get over to be members of so many spaces where things are going on and not feel the necessity to be engaged with every single one. Yeah, and I think that comes back to either the, the cultural thing we've all grown up with where, you, where you've got to be on top of everything um, or there's that, that Pavlov's dog thing where you see a, a red icon and you need to chase down to see why it's, it's not red. Yes, yeah, and, and, and judicious use of 
uh, you can mention entire channels or entire teams and that would alert everybody who's a member that gets overused like i hate it when i see people posting news articles and they at mention the entire team they're like look it's like nobody needs an alert for that like it's a news article they'll get to it when they get to it or they won't and that's okay um mm-hmm. And it's not a judgment on anybody that does that. It's just training because they don't realize that's not the right thing to do. Um, And conversely, people that post into general and have an expectation that everybody will read it when there's 50 members and they've all got different jobs to do, that's not the right expectation either. So again, culture, training, adoption, all the stuff that classically IT weren't the best at is is more and more important. Mm. Um. Oh, so so the typical Microsoft way of working with the product is version one is is okay, maybe crappy. Version two is sort of alright, but then if the version three becomes really really good, and then version four normally sets the, the world on fire. I mean, is is that where we are now with Teams? Do you think we're sort of in a, a two or a th- version three potentially? Yeah, so it definitely that's the classic, isn't it? The version three thing. I mean, we're three years in. Um, uh, there's the versioning is much more incremental in teams because it's a giant cloud service so it's growing all the time but we've definitely i think last year hit a level of maturity where it went from like it started off as more or less a kind of skunkworks project it was a very tight tight small group out of the skype group um and and clearly it, it usage wise i mean 75 million daily active users clearly it's a thing now um and clearly the masses are here so it's it's much more mature in kind of its structure and dev process uh it, it depends how you measure uh kind of good i guess i mean you could argue that it's it's does so much it's a bit sprawly in terms of all its abilities and all its features so uh, i think there's some still work to be done on for example we talked at the top of the session about working with external organizations that's still a bit clunky mm. um, there's still work to be done there but uh, as an internal tool for what it is i definitely think it's it, it's powerful and robust yeah yeah no I, I think probably i mean zoom is probably the one that's at the head of the thing i mean with all their security issues and that sort of thing from from an adoption point of view people just use it i mean zoom's become the, the verb yeah, but isn't that fascinating? Because yes, 100%, and I see that too, and we see that in some of our biggest orgs. Zoom is primarily an online meetings platform. They've added, they've got some chat and they've added phones recently, but that's sort of the easiest thing to adopt in a way because everybody knows what an online meeting is. Everybody knows how to schedule it. Everybody knows how to click to join it. Now, that's not to take anything away from Zoom. Their platform has been really powerful really easy to use you know really good on bandwidth so that they a lot of the cloud benefits they they nail so i don't want to take anything away from them but comparing zoom to teams is a is interesting because teams is also collaborative chat it's also apps it's also bots meetings is a piece of the puzzle um and i think some ways microsoft have taken a bit of a strategic hit of they could have just broken out meetings from teams as an app and said there's a teams meeting app and and they probably could have won quicker in the online meeting space because they would have taken all the governance complexity all this conversation we've had about how a team works and cultural change and app mentions and all that so they could have just hidden it all and said we're a meetings platform uh, we're bundled in office 365 go and it, no doubt i have no doubt in my mind that would have increased usage of online meetings for teams very quickly but i think microsoft are playing the longer game of 
we want to be part of the workflow, part of the work experience, not just the meeting, but the whole workflow, which has stunted their, not stunted, but slowed their growth because there's so much culturally, mentally governance, best practice to get around. Um, But I think if you look out five years, like what what's going to be different about Teams and Zoom in terms of online meetings? They're broadly going to be the same thing. Um, the, the the win is going to be being the center of people's work, or like you said, the top of the session, the, the the desktop. Like that's that's how you have the user is if you own the workflow, the desktop, the whole experience. Yeah, and that's why I was question. Sort of we're heading into that V four world where it now becomes the it is the center. Um, and, and the maturity is there. And I think the other thing which which any other vendor will struggle with is the integration with Microsoft. As much as Microsoft is is opening up its, you know, to any integrations, nothing should integrate with Microsoft like Microsoft products. Yeah, and, and they're being unusually level playing field about it too, which is funny because they have API integration. <laughs> there are third-party phone providers who have written soft phones that that pin into teams like a native app you can you can join a zoom from teams so so in some ways they're they're allowing others to get into teams as an experience but you're 100 percent right it's it's microsoft and microsoft and there's always a better way for microsoft to do it for themselves so it's a very formidable challenge in the collab space i mean all microsoft have to be is good enough to not justify spending another 12 bucks on another service yep. so even if the other service is better it has to be exponentially better because who isn't going to have 365? I mean, you need email, you need some kind of file store, you need some kind of collab platform. Buying those all bespoke uh, is is tough. I think 365 is a common denominator for most orgs. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I know there are some organisations that've gone with um, what's it called, Google Apps. Yep. I know that some have gone that way. I know some have come back to the Microsoft world. I mean, besides that, you've either got to build your own by cobbling together a whole bunch of, of other components, or just pay with your credit card and be online. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you see, you see kind of Google Apps, Dropbox, Slack, like, like, like particularly in like smaller, more nimble orgs who don't have any particular culture way of working. But if you go into any, any is a bit harsh, if you go into most larger organizations, they live on Excel and Word. So they need Office. So at the point where you're going to buy Office, like you need email. So you might, you're not going to run your own email servers in 2020. So now you're going to buy Office 365. Oh, you've got SharePoint, you've got OneDrive, you've got Teams. So yeah, I feel for the competitors in the space because it's you have to provide so much additional value. And that's not so you can't look at Zoom as a prime example, um, but it's definitely a challenge. Well, you've got Zoom and you've got, uh, I think Citrix has got their own version of Teams or that might be wrong. Yeah, yeah. Cisco, Cisco has a Teams version as well. There's um, the uh, Altazan guys have a, a version. So there are there are a few players about. And and, and honestly, I, I get in fun conversations where people try and take me feature for feature on those things. It's like, well, Slack does this and Webex does that. I'm like, well, cool. Like you've like, if you want to use those, I'm not here to convert you. Mm. But but think about total cost of ownership think about security and governance and discovery and infosec think about all these suddenly the conversation changes from this thing has a blue button this thing has a red button to if i need to do information discovery on my entire org how do i do that when i'm running dropbox and slack and and trello and this thing and that thing and that thing uh, are they really functionally that much better 
that they warrant the over. It might be yes. Honestly, you 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 you're the org. You hit the business goals, make the money. If you tell me Slack is making you more money, use Slack. Blessings. But if if they're roughly the same and you've already paid for one, do you really need it? Is it is a is a fun conversation to have? Yeah, and and, and I mean I've sat in, in in a few sessions where where guys are trying to argue the the better, you know the the sort of bells and whistles of of, of their different choices mm. but then integration becomes their biggest pain point and, then, and they're complaining about how um even though zoom integrates with slack and they get to start a call um they can't they can't record the call automatically sometimes or it doesn't it stores in the cloud but what stores on the desktop and they can't control where it's where it's recording to um yeah, it's, it's, it is tough to make those things work together. Um, so, so kind of the conversation, you can almost draw a line. It's like user experience and management control, compliance, governance. Those are the big areas. And even if you completely now user experience, the governance, control, audit trail, discovery thing can be really, really tough. Yeah, that's cool. Great. Well, I think let's, let's tie up there. I think you've, we've had a good, uh, a good chat. Yeah, um, we've been, been all over the place. I yeah. hope it's been useful. It's uh, It's been fun to uh, the topics I enjoy talking about. I can hear that. I can hear that. Um, where can people find you? Uh, yeah, so the blog is tomtalks.blog, and I focus there on Microsoft Teams, Microsoft 365 Collab, uh, also super active on LinkedIn and, and Twitter. LinkedIn is just crazy at the moment if you're in this space uh, and you're interested in collab and digital transformation and, and modern work experiences I'd, I'd highly recommend you get into to linkedin and some of the conversations that are happening there it's really good right now super well thanks very much for your time today great thanks ryan been a pleasure thank you for listening to today's episode heather bicknell is our producer and editor thank you heather for your hard work on this episode Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.